0: Vincent Victor Roche, and I'm excited today to bring you an incredibly big episode. And I mean this in terms of size, right? I'm talking to Christopher Warnock about the book he did with Regulus Hess, De Quindecim Stellis, the comprehensive translations of Hermes on the 15 fixed stars. And I talked to Christopher Warnock for over two hours. So this is a lot. a lot there. No Witch hassle episode has approached this size and length since uh, that incredibly generous chat uh, Professor Charles Porterfield did on the program not too long ago. So the way this one is going to work is that instead of it being like, you know, um, I take a big chunk out of the middle and put it behind the Patreon. Uh, Thank you again to all the Patreon supporters. With this one, it's basically Uh, The free feed, the thing you're listening to, no matter who you are, I guess you, you could be doing this on the Patreon too, whatever. But anyway, the free feed, that's basically just part one. You want part two, you go to the Patreon, that's how this one's gonna work. It's just so big. The book is very cool, it's, it's, but we also just get into Warnock's philosophy around like astrological talismans and a bunch of other stuff. Like really picking, picking the brain of this interesting man. It was also good because I know a lot of astrologers like i'm not good at astrology myself i'm aware that there are planets and there are stars and those are different but also sort of the same when you think about it but i know people who actually know things and i gave them enough advanced warning to be like hey uh do you have any good questions for this guy and like they they were very plentiful and kind in that regard so you get not only me picking christopher wardock's brain but also those fine folks who actually know what they're talking about haven't at the wisdom of this man So great show very excited uh to bring it to you um i think i would be remiss if not mentioning that uh you know horrible stuff happening out there there will be links in the show notes to where you can donate to humanitarian efforts trying to support folks in palestine right now i i mean bare bare minimum right that we can do i i don't know if there's really one good answer for how to try to address this like it seems like a multi-pronged kind of thing but please you know i encourage you to do everything and anything you can get out there protest, call your representatives the whole thing it is a, a terrifying genocide that is unfolding i hope there is no ambiguity that personally and by extension the program very much in favor of just palestinian liberation uh, from the from the river to the sea uh and so yeah links in the show notes to where you can donate i encourage you to do so Uh, A number of people involved in magic-y type things are doing sort of fundraising efforts around that. So, for example, I myself, um, if you donate $13 or more to any, you know, Palestinian support effort uh, and send me the receipt, you get a free free reading off of me. Um, I know uh, Al Cummins has been doing something similar, uh, Porous Palms is doing something similar. Jay Hamedi is uh, not exactly doing that, but something sort of along those lines. I think it's more that it's like free astrological readings for, for folks who were directly affected, I think is the last thing I saw him doing. Uh, but just, you know, a lot of a lot of folks putting in those efforts. So check out those folks I talked about and Dark Days, but we can't lose hope. Incredible shift in tone now uh, to my wonderful talk with Christopher Warnock. It's a good talk. It's very fun. So let me give you the, the good I mean, I, I feel like if you're listening to this show, you probably know who Christopher Warnock is already. But in case you don't, Christopher Warnock practices as a Renaissance astrologer. His website is renaissanceastrology.com. He received a Master's concentrating in Renaissance and Early Modern History from the University of St. Andrews. Mr. Warnock was also initiated into the Duarria Satine branch of the nimatullah Hay sufi order in 1991. He was tutored in Islamic logic and the existentialist philosophy of Seder al-Din Shirazi uh, by Ayatollah Mehdi Ha'iri Yazdi, uh, who had the unique distinction of being a master of traditional Iranian philosophy, as well as having received a, direct, a doctorate in philosophy from the University of Toronto. He's also uh, had the privilege of many reasonings with elders like Raz pido of the Rainbow Throne of the Nyabingi Theocratic Order and learning the truth about HIM, Conquering Lion of the tribe of Judah. He attained the degree of MM in W.R. Singleton Hope Lebanon Lodge Number 7 of the Grand Lodge FAAM of the District of Columbia on April twenty second, 1999. He was student number 10 and is a graduate of Cat Ironwood's Hoodoo Rootwork Correspondence Course and is an expert on the use of astrology in hoodoo and rootwork. In addition to practicing astrology, he follows the spiritual path of hermeticism, a practical path to gnosis based on the writings traditionally attributed to Hermes Trismegistus, as well as working with the Renaissance ceremonial magic of Cornelius Agrippa, Marsilio Fercini, and the Picatrix. And with John Michael Greer, a leading author and ceremonial magician, he translated the Latin Picatrix. And, you know, I, I, so many things you can do with him. Um... I, he also does astrological readings for people's charts to see like what kind of magic they'd be good at, which is very cool. A thing I might uh, get for myself as a birthday present at some point if my once my finances kind of stabilize. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't done any of the kind of like personal. Um, Crazy time. Uh, I got a. I last. When I last. When I last do an episode. Uh, I got a job. Uh, I passed the licensing exam. It's all very exciting. Um, I moved. So like you know, crazy times over here. But I think things will probably calm down because I now officially am uh, an officially licensed social worker. So when I do therapy, it is legit now. At least in the eyes of insurance providers. Uh, not that I've been charging insurance providers, because I work at a nonprofit that does free therapy uh, as a drop-in thing uh, for folks in need. Which is uh, it's a cool little it's a cool little job to do. Though things do sometimes get heavily chaotic there. Uh, oh boy. Anyway, here's Christopher Warnock. Ordinarily, I think with one of these interviews, I like to kind of get like a baseline going and get into some weird categories before we Whatever actually. Whatever you want. In- but like, whatever you want to do, when I told people I was interviewing you, tons of people just rushed to the front and said, I'd like to ask a question. So I feel okay. like, and a lot of them are actually, very whatever you t- want to do, whatever yeah, good, you want to do is fine. Good table setting questions too. So I feel like I'm just going to subject you to the audience of this podcast directly. Um, yeah, what is your audience? Uh, it's hard to tell. Um, I, I get a lot of very nice people talking on Twitter and Uh when i look at the because like i don't really invest in like the insights stuff so like all i really know from from spotify is that occasionally they're like oh yeah you have a bunch of listens out of columbus ohio you have a bunch coming out of this small town in georgia but do you get
1: a sense of who what type of people are you know is it magicians is it people interested in esoteric stuff you know what i'm saying what kind of what
0: yeah i think it's a lot of esoteric people
1: um general stuff or are they into like chaos magic or they're like pagans or you know what i'm saying
0: yeah i mean the people who's like interact the most seem to be a lot of people with like a chaos orientation but maybe they feel bad about it <laughs> you know like they're kind of they're they kind like of...
1: magicians though not astrologers
0: uh not as, yeah Hmm, that's a good question i think it's people who like want to know more about astrology okay you know. That's
1: it, just depends because normally what I get is there's not many medieval Renaissance astrologers out there. So that's not an audience that I'm ever talking to, you know, as in the in a podcast situation. Um astrologers when people say they're an astrologer, what they mean is they're modern astrologer. And that's 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 a different school. They don't realize they're a different school, but they are a different school. I feel like it's so, a lot of Hellenistic people. Yeah, but those people are also modern. Oh really? They call themselves Hellenistic, but what that means is they've picked up one or two techniques, and they think it's cooler to call yourself Hellenistic. But there's no real, in my opinion, nobody really practicing basically 100% Hellenistic astrology. But what, here's what I would say about it: is that if you look at the evolution of astrology, modern astrology is like astrology pretty much died out around 1700 in terms of bringing technical, really, you know, having professional people doing it. Yeah, the elites stop believing that there's any spiritual anything right they took on the mechanical philosophy what i call atheistic materialism and so there's always been this strand of like folk stuff like you know farmer's almanac kind of stuff you know or or like gypsy fortune teller people doing it so probably around in the in the 19th century with theosophy and stuff like that golden dawn the astrology started to come back but I mean, it was sort of reinvented as a means of character analysis partly because it fits in with a psychological approach that people can handle and also because it was illegal to fortune tell. I mean, a lot of you know that's still like it was what on the books that you if you pretend to tell fortunes, then that was a felony or whatever. I mean, New York, that's the same way. It's it's not illegal to be an astrologer. It's illegal to say you're in a, that you can tell the future. Now, if you if you say it's fake, it's okay. But oh, yeah. it actually, is on the books in New York State, it's illegal.
0: Oh yeah, totally. So,
1: so so the modern astrologers, they're focused. they think like I got very Jungian. When Jung came in, they can do all the archetypes and stuff like that. So what they do is look at the. The chart, natal chart, which is all they're looking—basically, only looking at birth charts—and they look at as a map of of their psyche, which is great. I do that. I mean, that's one of the things I picked up. I mean, I basically do when I do a natal reading, a chunk of it I do is a psychological reading. What I'll add into it though is the traditional what they call essential dignities and debilities, so I can look at a planet and see whether it's strong, weak, or anywhere in between, you know, or afflicted, and I'll use that like for shadow stuff. It's very, it's very, I like to look at people's charts and see the shadow side. And that Ooh. shows up very clearly if you look at the, if you look at the, if you do a natal reading, but see the modern astrology being psych, based on psychology is almost 100% positive. So any placement is going to have, they're looking to say, oh, Saturn and Aries, well, that's good. That's, you know, your whatever Saturn stands for is, you know, fiery and enthusiastic or whatever. So whereas in traditional studies, you like look at Saturn and Aries, you're like, oh, it's in fall, it's in fall, it's afflicted it's not a good place for it. So that causes problems. If that rules money, for example, that's negative for your finances and things like that. So because the t- traditional astrology, medieval Renaissance astrology predicts, it has to be able to handle everything from really good to neutral to really bad. So it has a methodology that can handle all those all those different gradations. Modern astrology is very psychologically based. And when you go to a psychologist, they're not going to say, I mean, Timothy Leary did a famous study in which they looked at the results of 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 you know therapy, and they about a th- a third of people really got better, a third of people it wasn't that bad for, and the third like didn't help at all. But you don't go into the psychologist and say, "Well, it's probably not, it may or may not help you." They're like, "No, we're going to jump in and be enthused about it and upbeat and see if it, see if it helps you," which is a perfectly appropriate approach for a psychologist, but not for prediction. But see, in modern astrology, prediction is kind of like frowned upon. I mean, it's sort of like because everyone has free will, right? So to say you're predicting something, that's infringing people's free will. So we can't do that. Of course, we can tell what your personality is, which is predictive, I suppose, but they don't. I, I brought that up once in this. I was teaching this course, this little traditional astrology course in a modern astrology thing. And I mentioned that to the students. I said, do you believe in fate? And they're like, oh, no, it's free will. And so what about your personality? I mean, that's determined, isn't it? And they're like, that freaked them out. I got reported to the head of the college for heresy. Cool. Somebody, somebody got really upset about that, me saying that. So, so this is like saying there's a lot of this sort of underlying stuff that's going on, and this is what I'm really interested in. And if you looked at the Quindecim stelis, my commentary gets into that sort of stuff. But the what I call meta structures, which yeah. is there's a lot of unspoken assumptions that people come to with stuff. And so before you can answer the question, it's sort of like when did you stop beating your wife? Question. They're like, wait a second, hold on. I'm, you know, that's like there's all sorts of stuff built into the question. That people aren't even aware of it's like fate and free will i was thinking about that yeah really pretty much of a false dichotomy and it only makes sense from an ego perspective if, if there's no self right then you don't have to be getting into fate and free will so but no self is that's a little hard for people i mean that's a little bit kind of advanced buddhist kind of level of of approach so a lot of stuff but for example just like you know the the every, every of the like I'm talking about schools, right? Because people yeah. talk about astrology. I mean, there's the movie Blues Brothers. That's kind mm-hmm. of an old movie now, but if you've ever seen that, they go to this roadside, you know, honky tonk and they say, What kind of music do you play? And they say, Both kinds, country and western. And it's like, that's what I think about astrology. They ask people, what, what do you do? And I'm an astrologer. What kind of astrology? You know, astrology. And it's like, okay, you're a modern astrologer. And so it it's it has its own internally consistent philosophy and methodology and everything that's, you know, that pretty much everybody within it uses, you know, and so, but they're not aware of it. I mean, it's just automatically a a lot of automatic assumptions. And so each of the schools is like that. Like, so what I would say is that Hellenistic potentially could be a school, but there's just not a lot of people that practice it exclusively. Typically what people are doing is taking some of the techniques and then they're applying it in an underlying philosophical and methodological way that's actually modern, So that's what, one of the reasons I like the medieval Renaissance is that I like medieval Renaissance philosophy. Mm. So the philosophy that underlies this medieval Renaissance, you know, is essentially traditional philosophy. It's a spiritual based, you know, that's the expectation. If you think of causality, that's a good one right there. Modern astrology, what's the causality? How does it work? And people are like, well, sunspots, gravitation, rays, beams are symbolic. And none of those are Really, if you if you examine any of those, those are all problematic as 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 causality. I mean, it's certainly not anything that's scientifically detectable. It's none of the electromagnetic spectrum. It's not gravity. It's not quantum. It's not string theory. Spiritual rays. What about horary? I mean, horary, you ask a question and you get the answer from the horary. How does that work? I mean, I suppose you could see a natal chart as like standards beaming stuff at you at a certain angle when you're born and that has a certain effect. But horary question? And then symbolic—that's another one. I'm like, well, how does that work then? What does that mean? Because symbolic is like, you know, like Nike symbolizes the Nike company, right? But there's no real connection to though, right? It's just symbolic. So if it's only a symbolic relationship, how does it work then? I mean, astrology works. I can predict stuff with it. So, or like your date, of your birth time, date, and place of your birth. You look at the planets. It's incredible. Your per- your whole personality is right there. Just from a modern perspective, you can lay it all in. But anyhow, let me stop ranting, and you can st- on various things, and you can start me off on the stuff you want me to talk about. So yeah,
0: I mean that was great. Actually, I do want to eventually get into that introduction you do to the translation, because the philosophical grounding is really interesting there. But actually, something you said um, activated one of the questions that somebody posed to me to pose to you when you brought up the idea that there's no self potentially, and that's right. sort of an, an advanced uh, Buddhist philosophical position, because somebody actually wanted to ask you. As someone steeped in both traditional astrological magic and Zen, how do you reconcile the two or not, or see them as separate practices that nevertheless work together? What do you have to say about magic and divination in Buddhism in general?
1: Okay. So if you look at my other book, Celestial Way, I have a long, I have a whole chapter on sort of astrological magic and astrological deities and stuff and how they fit into Buddhism you know, in particularly into Japanese Buddhism, one of the misconceptions, here's the thing. Yeah. Again, this gets to, to get back to atheistic materialism. The The basic worldview world is not just our conscious philosophy. It's our unconscious assumptions about reality. In fact, it is our reality. And the weird thing about worldviews, it's possible for people to have different worldviews. And what that means is it's possible for people to have different realities. And that's really hard because reality is reality. And my reality is everyone's reality. And someone who doesn't have my reality is just insane. But in fact, it's possible to look at things from a very, very different perspective. So, when you're coming from an atheistic materialistic perspective, nothing exists except matter and energy. So, when you talk about the spiritual, what that means is psychological, and what that means is brain function, and what that means is electrochemical impulses, you know, and what that means is molecules and atoms and subatomic particles. So, insofar as anything happens, it's because of these certain physical laws, right? Which govern everything. And then the random interaction of subatomic particles. Okay. Now that's just, that's it. I mean, that's reality. That's it. I mean, we don't even need to think about it, but that is a particular worldview, which is atheistic materialism. So one of the things about Zen Buddhism in the United States is it's very appealing to, if you're coming out of an atheistic materialistic perspective, consciously or unconsciously, because Christianity is, is, is a lot of times people get I can see, I mean, I was reading some stuff about worldview recently, and there's a sort of a subset of Christians writing about worldview because they have a different view of reality than than the modern, the atheistic materialism. So they're conscious of worldview, but it's frustrating reading their stuff because it just, it seems to me to be very incoherent. The Christian stuff, if you go at the theology, for example, is very incoherent. So a lot of people, and also people have just been abused by the you know mainline Christian stuff. You know they had a bad experience with it. So like I don't want to be Christian. So they they like Zen because it's not Christian. So that's an attraction of it. But they don't want to having a bunch of spiritual stuff. I mean they don't want to have like you know they want to be able to do something atheistic materialistic that's basically Christian though. See that that's what's weird about it. like people would ask me like what does Zen offer for children? I'm like nothing, nothing. There is absolutely nothing for children in Zen. It's not for kids. You know, it's not even for most people, you know. But there's no Sunday school. They're not doing. I mean, like the Zen Center down the street from us. It was like wanting to do social work and stuff like that. Nothing that this has anything to do with Zen. I mean, you, it's fine to do it, but it's not. They're looking for basically the Christian, non non Christian Christianity. Yeah,
0: so like this is one of the problems he, with
1: Zen. They don't believe in enlightenment. Even you, you know, I talked to
0: like ethical constraints in Zen. Like, are you told to do anything in in your conception of like what American the, what, ethic,
1: what does ethics have to do with with it? See what I'm saying? Again, this is the whole point: is that religion is to give you an ethical system, right? And it's like Zen is, while Zen originally means the word literally means meditation, like Chan, right? And and they they focus on zazen, which is seat, sitting meditation. But that's sort of the practice. The, the actual core reality of Zen is that it's a school of direct pointing to the nature to reality. Okay, and so. Um, like a koan. Like, and and I'll, I'll look at those and the people say, well, they'll try to explain them. It's like trying to explain a joke, you know, either get it or you don't get it. I mean, a koan is a, a recording of an interaction between a master and a student or two masters, right? And it's like I said, it's just like a joke because you get, if you read it and you're like, then okay, there you go. That's the point of it. But if you get an explanation of it, that's just pointless. Then you're totally missing it. In fact, you're way, you're so far off. It's not even funny. So what I would say about it is is that insofar as now, that being said, the Zen stuff that's around, like in, in Japan, you know, the Zen Buddhist stuff is basically for funerals. That's what they use. That's what they do with them. I mean, you know, there's a family connection to a particular like sect. In Japan, I mean, they're very fluid. Like you can be a Buddhist and Shinto and all at the same time. I mean, they mix it all up. That's the way I am. I like it. But there's typically a family affiliation, and so if somebody dies, you go to them. You go to them for the funeral, and that's it. That's your only interaction with them. And the only time they they sit in meditation is when they're training, because they do it so much they get sick of it. It's awful. They like abuse them. It's just, it's the Japanese, they get out of control with stuff. You know, they can't, they, they like do more, more, work harder, work harder, work harder, work harder. And so, so the, there's not too many people now it's still alive. I mean, there's still a somewhat of a recognition of it. Right. But for the most part, they're not looking to be enlightened. Right. They're, they're doing a lot of, they're really good at ritual. And like I said, the their main function is a funeral rituals and they own the temple. Like the, there goes down for father to son. So you're You know, you, you, it's a family business basically, you know? And and when you're about 18, they send you off this training temple and they beat the shit out of you for three years, four years, and then you come back and then you just run the business and you get married and everything. So the Zen stuff is very in Japan is very ritually based. I mean, they have like it's funny because I have this complete um, English translation of all the ceremonies of the Zen school, and they have like a ritual for two you know earth spirits, the local spirits, you know like the genius loci. I mean, they're totally integrated into that. I mean, it's not there's no contradiction between zen and buddhism and spirits at all i mean it's completely part of the it's, it's but they said the zen the view of them in america is that it's somehow this kind of like you know really austere you know it's funny i went to the zen temple because i went to japan like about five times you know about uh, last you know not recently but you know previously and they did this you can pay and they'll do a ceremony for you and so it was really cool i mean they but it was very ornate i mean all this brocade and gold leaf and stuff and the whole the people think of zen now it's like you know very like bare wood. And, you know, it's all, it's of aesthetic, but that's American. I mean, they don't, they don't, Americans, the American conception of Japanese Zen is very different from the way it actually is. So, so that question is coming from this thing of like, well, obviously Zen doesn't have anything to do with magic. And it's like, well, if you go to a Zen temple, you can buy talismans. They make talismans. That's cool. I have my computer here I've got some special. This isn't from a Zen temple, but it's from a actually maybe Shinto. But anyhow, talismans for computers. Cool. So it's a computer tal, electronic talisman, electronic protection talisman. They're like, okay, cool. Let's just make some new ones, you know? But if you look behind me up on the top there, see that right there? That's what's called a, a kamidana, which is actually Shinto, but that's Japanese. It's like a little home temple for that. Mm. And underneath that, you can see the Buddha. There's a there's a Buddha and a Buddha behind me. So I've got, those are all altars. I mean, my office is full of altars. So I do a lot of, but the Zen downplays the ritual, right? But they're still part of the Japanese Buddhism, which has a buttload of ritual. It really does. And deals with spirits all the time. So mm-hmm. just in its context, there's no, now, you know, one of the ways of, of dealing with the spiritual world is to personify things, Right. And so when you relate to things, it's like, you know, you can relate to a spiritual as an impersonal energy, or you can relate to it as a personality, right? Just like I can relate to you as a personality, right? But since there's no self, that's just a little bit of an abstraction anyway. I mean, what I take to be me is it's like that whole self is really like, if you think about a movie, like, you know, a cartoon, right? Mm. Still pictures. And if you run those still pictures at a fast enough speed, there's an illusion of movement, and so that's the way the self is: is that we take together these sort of algorithms and stuff, and and everything. And we run them fast enough, then we have this illusion of self, particularly when we attach it to the this body as being a separate thing, right? And so, but that's a whole that trying to get to know self is like that's get enlightening people. So we're not going to be able to do that in this context, but but just just to say is like so to talk, to relate to a spirit as a person is no more irrational than relating to a human as a person right because there's no there's no more real reality to the human right as an individual self than there is to but it's a useful sort of interface right right so you're not getting so at the an essential nature
0: of the thing but you are getting something you can work with
1: yeah exactly but if so if you want to take up that interface and use that interface that it's workable you know like i said with a talisman you can think of a talisman as a as a battery that's the way most people think of it as a battery. It's like it's charged with the energy, and you got to wear it against your people. I was asking me, do I have to wear? Do I have to wear it 24 hours a day? Do I have to wear it during sex? I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, because from my perspective, it's like a rosary. You see, it's a means of communicating with the spirits, right? Really? The talisman, yeah, that's what I. It's like a portal, but that's just my that's just my view. I mean, none of those is correct. It's just like it's just what that resonates for me, and that's a, an acceptable model. See, none of the stuff I'm saying is, I don't believe there's an objective reality, right? That's another one of those faith things. I mean, because the only evidence we have is of our subjective, you know, everything in mind. Like, for example, if you look and you see the tree, there's no tree in your head. You're just getting, you know, the lights coming to your eyes and it's being transmitted by electrochemical impulses to the mind, whatever that is. I mean, everything you perceive is in mind. So it's always at that. There's, you're never actually in touch with the subjective reality. Now, there's this belief that it's out there and we can measure things and we can figure out what it is. And science claims to have that, but it always changes the answer. You know, science is constantly changing. I mean, A new study, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's they're never set. It's always in the future they're going to get it, right? And right now, it's always provisional. So I kind of question that. So that's what I would say about it is that, you know, the things that I'm putting forth are just kind of like models of modeling. And if you find it congenial, great. If you don't, I can prove it. I'm like, you know, you don't like my model, you can use a different model. It's not like I'm right, you know? And so that's, that's another of my messages for the astrological community is like, it's all modeling. It's just a matter of preference. Now, some stuff, it's not like everything's equally workable, though. That's what I would say. There's this middle path between there's one right answer and, oh, anything that anyone says is okay, that relativistic new age thing, that doesn't work either. What I would say is there's numbers of sort of right things and there's an infinite number of completely wrong stuff or totally messed up stuff that doesn't work at all. So you got to find that middle path there. But of those paths with heart, as Carlos Castaneda says, there's multiple choices and it just depends on what's what you resonate with yeah you so know. it's possible it's
0: impossible to be completely right, but it is very possible to be completely wrong.
1: Well, really wrong in a practical matter. I mean, you're never totally wrong because there's always going to be a grain of like truth in any thing, but it's so off base it doesn't really work for you very well. when
0: you treat an astrological talisman as like a rosary as opposed to like a battery, like how does that right. how does that affect how you work with it or work it? Because like, in my mind, like what are you rosary, trying to
1: get out of it?
0: I mean, what's
1: that's, that's that's the that's see that's the thing. think of the difference like, if you go make a novena for someone to get healed from cancer, right? You're not like going and saying, get your ass over here, Virgin Mary, kick. I'm gonna kick your ass and I'm gonna yell at you and stuff and force you in. I'm gonna put you, I've got special gear on, and I got a circle. I'm gonna make you get in that circle. I'm gonna yell at you and push you. I'm not gonna make a deal with you either. That's not very effective. I mean, that's what I would say is like you're like you're very respectful, right? Of this very benign, very powerful being, and you ask for it and you recognize you may not get it you know it's just like but maybe you know it's worth it to prayer works sometimes you know but it's like it's just it 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 just makes a difference in your approach you know what i mean and um i'm not as focused on the results but i still get pretty good results you know overall i mean i don't go and say give me fifty three hundred dollars so i can buy a new car but i'm just sort of like on but on otherwise i'm unable to be an astrologer and support myself for like 20 years so yeah. you know, it's I, I kind of attribute that. So that's what I'd say, but it's a little bit, people will be like, you know, wanting to do demons or the solomonic remorse, cause they want fast results quick. And it's just like, okay. I mean, that's your, if that's your thing, that's your thing. But it's like, those guys are tricky. They're tricksy. Yeah. And you may not be such a great deal. That quick and easy stuff is like, it can be, can be problematic, but that's, that's for everyone to decide. I'm not going to come in and be like, it's, it's depends on what your if that's your destiny, then you should follow your follow your destiny. Luckily, I for me, I'm like I prefer the right hand path stuff, so that's my my preference. But if you look at that celestial way, I said so basically what I call devotional practice, you know. And so you like for example, I have a, um daily planetary practice. So each day is ruled by a planet. In fact, that's the origin of the week. It's 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 astrological. And so Monday's the moon, you know. Sunday's the sun. Saturday Saturn. So I just do a short invocation, light a candle, a little bit, incense to the plant that rules the day. And I've been doing that now for 20 years, every single day. Like an so orthochem or? You can do whatever you want. I just have a little one pager from Picatrix, but you can do anything mm. you want. Okay, I mean, there's yeah. really not, there's not like the, because people are always saying, well, should I put the candle on the right or the left? And it's just like, whatever, you know? So, so like, of course, people don't have a sense of like what's respectful or what's not respectful either. That's what I say, just be respectful. And even that, I mean, we're in a society that's so completely adrift spiritually, they have no idea, you know? So even the the basic stuff, but it's I mean, I have a sort of a framework that I use, but yeah, it's not like, you know, again, you can just I, I kind of again analogize it to the Catholic people say, Oh, you're worshiping. I'm like, no, I mean they venerate. And I'm like, that's what I would say I do. It's like I just they're angels that's how I, I think of the planetary I mean I'm, I'm interfacing again you can interface with the planetary in many different ways I mean there's yeah. angels demons demons all sorts of stuff and you can whatever you want to do and um, I want to only interface at the archangelic level for myself but again I'm not going to say that that's the only right way to do and everyone else is wrong if they do something different but that's I mean- that's just my personal preference
0: I mean, with that caveat, right? That like, this is your personal preference. You're not telling this is the the right thing for everybody. Like, given that people are conceivably very spiritually adrift, like it might be helpful just like, what is your basic, like if you hit basic breakdown of the framework, like what do you, so it's, you're trying to work at the archangel level. You're using the invocation of the Picatrix. There is a candle, it sounds like.
1: Yeah. Candles and incense. That's pretty basic. You know, I, if you want, I'll take it. I just did a new altar. For my mm. planetary stuff, let me just pick it up here and I can see if I can show you on the wall here if I can aim it. Okay. I'm oh, so... in trouble aiming it. See that? Yeah. The so triangles it's... And stuff? it's got a zillion That's mirrors gorgeous. all over it. Yeah, I just redid it. And it's it's got the seven planets and they're in the days of the week order. So what I do is I just put it, the, I have a, a candle I move. So I just move the candle, you know, underneath the image for the day. So I just move it over every day and then just keep, doing the cycling through it. And if I have any kind of planetary ritual, I just do it on that altar. This is this is my planetary altar. So and, um, there
0: are are I can't actually see the images that clearly are. There are eight of them though. So Well, there's
1: five planets and Hermes Trismegistus at the top.
0: Oh, Hermes Trismegistus.
1: Okay. Yeah. He's on all my altars cuz he's my kind of he's my dude.
0: How do you Unless con- it's like
1: a Buddhist altar or whatever.
0: How do you conceive of Hermes
1: Trismegistus, because like I,
0: I, I've seen him referred to as a god. I've seen him referred to as a person who never
1: existed. Okay, yeah, they're all of that. I was laughing. I saw this other thing. again, it's Christian worldview, and they said, you know, the time. Well, what is your view of humans? Are they sleeping gods? Are they a naked ape? And I was started laughing because I'm like, it's all of those, you know. Just such an intense way to pose a question. Hermes Trismegistus. Hermes Trismegistus is like, he's he's like Hermes is liminal. I mean, what I love about. Hermes Mercury is that he's, he's not, I mean, he's a hermaphrodite too. He's not man. He's not woman. He's like, he's, he's not here and he's not there. You know, you can have your cake and eat it too with Hermes. So God, yes. Human. Yes. Neither. Yes. Both. Yes. It's like, no (laughs) and no flip it around. No, he's not any of those things. So that's, that's the thing about it is it's like, it's, I mean, this is coming out of this Western esoteric, you know stream that's hidden you know coming from like first second third century this mixing of the egyptian and greek you know the stuff that happened within the 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 roman you know cultural sphere very much like art today you know what i mean this is like really this incredible mixing of cultures incredible wealth incredible you know stratification of society and then decay you know so it's like very much analogous to the that's our site. You know, it's interesting. If you look at China, right, they have the Chinese dynastic cycle. And the way the Chinese dynastic cycle works is that you have chaos, you know, the country's, you know, falling apart. And then a new leader arises, a new dynasty arises, it unites the country, right? And then it rules through the literati class. You know, they have the examination system and everything. And then about two or 300 years, and then it becomes corrupted, and then it falls apart again, and then the new dynasty arises. So that's their cultural cycle our western cultural cycle is rome you know so that's really what you know we've just replicated on a worldwide scale now
0: this actually brings up something i wanted to ask you about which is that you know you mentioned this idea of like the self not really existing you know Mm. um, hermes is is this liminal kind of it's it's this idea of not being right like not here not there it's sort of just not but then you've also talked about the idea of like you know your personality is inscribed in your natal chart you have a destiny that you might Right. sort of seek to approach. So like how do you sort of
1: if you look at that reconcile think about this. those two an- another things? Another way another way to look at that, because it's a good point. If you look at your chart, right, you can see all in a celestial. you can see in a celestial way, in an astrological way, all the forces that combine to produce you, right? And see all the planets like the like, you know, I have like Saturn and Aquarius rising. You know, so the Saturn rolls my first house. And he's in Aquarius, where he's really strong. And so, obviously, I have this huge Saturn influence on my life. It's very strong. It's mostly positive, but Saturn brings some melancholy. But see, if I say that produces this in my personality, that's one way of looking. Another way to say I'm just channeling Saturn. You know, it's like looking at a like a, a snowflake, and you look at all the different patternings of it. You know, and it's like okay, so you you can see what what I what you are as a person is this instantiation of these forces, right? So how much of you really unique person are you just, you just like a shadow from a different angle. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the light comes from this angle and the, and it's reflecting on this and it produces this picture, you know, it produces this shadow, but is the shadow really there? Or is it just all the forces that are combined to produce that? So mm-hmm. It's like, depending on what your perspective is, you see what I'm saying? It's just a question of perspective. So you can, from one perspective say, yes, this is a unique person From another perspective. You can say, oh, this is just like, you know, this is just these forces you know, like, and that's the way I look at myself is that I'm very much, like for example, as uh, as an attorney, right? I mean, I feel myself very much part of this thousand year old tradition, right? Because the law is very old. you know, Our law is very much embedded in you know, the common law and everything. And in England and history, and so I've been privileged, for example, to be able to make precedent. Like, for example, I've done cases that have gone up to the highest courts, in the, like in, in the state I'm in or in the District of Columbia. And those cases, once they're decided, make law. And those are th- they're part of that this tradition. But it's building, so I'm like been able to come in and there's all this this foundation here and lay a couple bricks, right? And I'm a, a votary of justice, you know, a votary of law. I mean, I'm a servant of this 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 great tradition and part of it. And so, but I didn't invent it. And the stuff that I came up with is not like unique. It follows the, it. Fo- it's like, like I said, it's like this medieval craftsman working on the cathedral, you know, and I, I did a couple statues, but again, what's the, what did I get the inspiration from the statue from? You know, I didn't totally make it up myself. It's going to be what, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, it, it's a craftsman approach. The same thing with it, with the astrological magic. I didn't invent it. It's not unique to me. I looked at these sources and what I did was to provide a framework, translate, help translate Picatrix, provide a framework for actually doing it. And everybody practices astrological magic now seriously now uses my framework, right? But they do it in different ways. You know what I mean? People have all sorts of different approaches, but the infrastructure, that's what I was able to, to kind of like look at these sources and deduce a practical methodology for actually using them, right? And based on the fact that I'm coming out of a spiritual worldview and I'm deeply imbued with this, you know, with the, with the tradition itself and worked in it because I was trained as a horary astrologer, right? So I was able to do it. As opposed to the modern thing, like I'm a genius, I invented it. It comes from me. See, I don't see this stuff as coming from me. I think I see myself as a vessel, Yeah. right? So insofar as I'm doing it, it's a very traditional view, you know, but that's just because that's where I come, you know, I mean, that's what I'm drawn to. That's what I come out of. That's my, that's my Dharma. That's my job. So. I mean,
0: very Saturnine and its
1: Yeah, that too. Way. Very, yeah. very true.
0: And actually for the folks who are at home, you are dressed in black uh, at the moment too. Very, <laughs> very on yeah. point. Um, There's actually another listener question that I feel like kind of taps into this a little bit. And that is the constellations where we locate fixed stars seem to be a way to understand their essential character, such as the qualities of, um. I'm going to say that's I've never actually said this out loud. Spica, Spica, Spica. Spicia? My
1: English friend, my English friend of mine said Spica, and I, since I'm from the Midwest, I say Spica.
0: Okay. Qualities of Spica in the constellation Virgo, but since the tropical zodiac no longer Uh-oh. overlaps Uh-oh. with Uh-oh. the constellations it is named after, no, 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 and therefore, as a matter one. of the Earth's relationship with the Sun, what can we do? With the otherwise
1: ridiculed really oh
0: idea that fixed stars are part of what gives the signs of the zodiac their qualities as influences on the planets.
1: See, this person thinks they had the unique idea. They thought they thought of this, right? And I've, it's only the hundred thousandth time that this exact same question has been asked to me. Okay, and I have a whole page on my website about it. But I will give a brief explanation for it. Again, atheistic materialism, right? So atheistic materialism says there's nothing real except matter and energy right and so if you want to know the truth about something you got to look to material right and so if you have a thought and that contradicts you know like the the, the physical evidence then your thought is wrong right because the physical is the highest form of everything it's all there is anyway so when you come to astrology obviously there must be an energetic or material cause for it right and the highest the highest thing that you can look to is the physical stars right and that's it those are the, those are the highest possible reality and so if you look at the constellations, well, the, you know, the tropical zodiac doesn't correspond to the physical stars, so we got to throw it all out. It's obviously useless because the physical stars are the most important thing. So what that ignores is the fact that the tropical zodiac is oriented to the seasons. And so, for example, when the weatherman says it's the first day of spring, he doesn't tell you that's because the sun is in Aries because they freaking hate astrology. They're not, and they don't even know about it, but they don't want to talk about that shit. But that's what it is. The first day of spring is when the sun goes into Aries, and so, and that's at the at the um, at the uh, spring equinox when the days are equal in the northern hemisphere. And so, the sun goes into Cancer at the summer solstice, and the summer solstice is when the the northern movement of the sun stops apparently, and it starts moving backwards. And then you got the the um, autumnal equinox, which is when the sun goes into Libra, and the, again the days are equal. And again, the 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 summer solstice is when the days are longest. And then you get the winter solstice when the days are shortest when the sun goes into Capricorn, okay? So you've got this incredible cycle, right? That's oriented to the to the seasons. That's that's very physical, right? I mean, it's like, that seems like that's reality. Okay, so the other thing about it is that all the attributions of what the signs mean are seasonal, basically. Like Aries is like, you know, restless and forward moving and all this sort of stuff. It's, you know, like the first like, spring. So there's all that. The other thing about it is that the, the tropical zodiac is 12 signs of 30 degrees each right so it gives you a very precise way of measuring things and that's the major fu- function of the zodiac is when it, what cons- every every culture has astral omens you know, like red sky at night sailor's delight sort of thing i mean everyone's looking at the heavens but in terms of astrologies they need a zodiac and a zodiac is a 360 degree circle around the earth and allows you to very precisely give the location of anything so if i say 2 Taurus that means it's at Sixty-two degrees of the circle, right? So, but basically, that's what the zodiac's function is. So, like fighting about like sidereal, which is what the Vedic uses, versus tropical is like fighting between the metric system and inches. You know, the imperial system. They're just two measuring systems. I mean, whatever. Use whatever one you want. I mean, if you're doing if you're doing Western, they use tropical, so you use. It's like we use inches here. I mean, whatever. But there's this. Called a constellational astronomical zodiac. And what that is, is tries to follow the constellations. Okay, well, where's the boundary of the constellation? We don't know. It's not hard to do that. And then they're all different sizes. You know, some constellations are 45 degrees, others like three degrees. So you have this completely irregular when you don't know where the boundaries are, right? And then you throw out all the seasonal attributions, right? But you do that because, by God, you're an atheistic materialist and you're not going to stand with any of this garbage that doesn't correspond to the physical stars. And so that's, they throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. But see, all these assumptions, they're all under, underground and they can't see that. But of course, it should be the physical stars, the actual stars. And it's just like, see, whereas in the traditional view, the thing is, is like the, the, the more spiritual something is, the more true it is, right? And when you get to matter, it's like like, if you think about a triangle, if you think of it in your mind. You can think of it perfectly. If you try to draw that or create it, it's always going to be imperfect, right? Matter is the imposition of form, right? So matter is itself imperfect. And so rather than being the highest measure of all things, it's actually the most corrupted, the most the most furthest from the truth, right? We're the lowest fear, right? And so that's the, the more traditional view of it. And so that's what I would say. That's a short, you can look at the page on there. You can just search tropical versus sidereal versus constellational zodiac and you get my page on that and people can read it. But again, people also think that they thought of that. And that's a good example of like, I was saying they're unique. I'm a special, unique person with my own unique thoughts. It's like, no, I mean, it's you're just, you're just a walking instantiation of worldview, right? That's what that is. Anyone that comes up with that question, and of course, I'm not saying I'm any different. I mean What I just told you was just the standard, that would be a standard spiritual approach. So it's not like I came up with it or it's better. It all falls from worldview. So once you know someone's worldview, then you can know what their opinion is going to be on that particular question and about 10,000 other questions too. But see, what's useful is to know what your worldview is. So that's what I would say about it. It's just like, and someone coming from a spiritual worldview would not be hung up on the fact that there's not corresponding to the physical planets or I mean, The thing about this is that for the fixed stars, they do process them. Right. If you're trying to figure out, but the other thing about the fixed stars is, if you think about the zodiac, what the zodiac is is the. If you look up in the sky, you can see where the sun is, and it makes it, it makes a circular path. And the zodiac is the ecliptic; it's the path of the sun. Most of the planets are pretty much orbiting on that plane. They're a little bit above or a little bit below it, but they're pretty much on that plane. The fixed stars, though, are throughout the 360 degree circle of the heaven. I mean, dome, three degree, you know, 3D. Right? It's this whole spherical thing. So. For Western astrology, they project them onto the ascendant, so that causes a distortion of the physical position. But what it gives you is sensitive points, right? And so those sensitive points correspond to that to the fixed stars. It's just that's just how they, you know, that's just one of the things about it. So that that's that's probably a bigger problem if you're worried about physical reality than the the tropical zodiac. But people don't know that, so they don't think about it. They don't it doesn't bother them because they're not aware of it. But they are, have had this stuff trumpeted to them on. You know, social media and stuff, the 13th sign, blah, 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 blah. Those stupid old astrologers didn't know shit. And we're so evolved now. We know better than they do. And they thought the earth was flat. And they're so stupid. They didn't even know that they weren't any blah, blah, blah. blah. But that's a lot of that propaganda in there, too. You know, and so, because, you know, we're so evolved in 2023. That's why, which is kind of a very questionable proposition in my mind. Yeah. I mean, I just I think- don't see much. Spe- I, mean, I think people are starting to realize that's kind of. St- that's a sort of like it leaves a bad taste if you say that. I mean, you've got the Holocaust, you've got World War One, you got World War Two, you got de- you know, massive, you know, the environmental destruction, you've got all this stuff. It's like I don't we don't seem very evolved. It's like that new age thing is really questionable. And I would say that's a lot of it's down to the fact that, you know, the atheistic materialism. I mean, when you ha- get into atheistic materialism, it leads to nihilism. And then that's why you have a lot of the problems we have now. I mean, why would you want to do, what's the point of being an ethical person? It's all, it's all pointless. It's all random. You're going to die anyway. Why not just do whatever you want? You mm-hmm. know, that's what I would say for people that atheism materialism, it's like, what is the basis for any kind of ethics? You know, the exit is, oh, you make up your own. I'm like, okay, well, I make up my own ethics that I'm a Nazi and that's good too. Right. And like, no, that's bad. I'm like, how can you logically argue against that? if There's no, if there's no right or wrong. If there's no consequence, that's what karma gives consequences. So there's a logic there, not just like you're going to go to hell and it's bad, but look, if you do evil, evil will be done to you in equal measure. So that makes, that's a pretty logical reason for not doing it. But if everything's pointless and you can just get away with anything, then why would you want to be a good person other than your personal choice? Why shouldn't I just choose to do bad stuff? And that's permeated the culture. It's very, just, it's very corrosive.
0: It does sort of seem like utilitarianism as sort of like the go-to ethical framework what? for like serious people is a way of really evading the idea that you still have to make like an axiomatic decision about like what is good without any kind of like proposition behind it. But I'm curious when you, because like you mentioned that idea of like, you know, like there's a worldview that people have that maybe they're not aware of, and it's kind of driving these ideological Well, it, ideas. Everything is. And like, did you, it sounds like you Certainly, are like operating off of like a more sort of like an older worldview. You're trying to do kind of like a spiritualist, like Mm -hmm. you know. It took me a long time,
1: but I got there.
0: Yeah. Well, how did? Yeah. Like, what was was there just a moment of like this? The current one isn't working for me. I'm going to do this instead, or was it like where astrology
1: played a big role in there, right? Because I mean, I, I remember as a kid, like asking my parents, like, why do you go to church? Like, do you pray? And they're like, no. Like, so what to go to church? And they said, well, to be part of the community and for our ethical And you know, I am just like, that's bullshit. doesn't make any sense. And so I was, I was quoted agnostic. In other words, I was an atheist and materialist. But then spontaneously, when I got out of law school, I became a seeker, you know, spiritual seeker. And that's sort of like buffet style, like you just sample everything, read a lot of books, sample things, you know, don't get too deeply into anything, but just armchair, read a lot of stuff, you know, or just loosely do things. And um, so I was pulled towards it. But astrology played a big role because once I started, like for example, you do a couple a couple hundred horaries and you get them right, not all the time, but all, I mean, there's incredible, it's amazing with horary, you like do the stuff and it like hits the situation, you know? And it's like, that's just crazy. And if that works, that means that this idea that everything's random isn't true, that everything's incredibly patterned. And so for most people, like for example, I've noticed this with like magic or astrology, esoteric stuff, they tend to compartmentalize. So they do one weird thing. And they have a little compartment for that one weird thing. And the rest, they're totally bourgeois. For me, what happened is it blew up everything. And that's, but it's my natural inclination anyway, is of a a very Aquarian, I think. And um, it just blew everything up. And so that was just part of that kind of, if it's, because I, for me, philosophical consistency is really important. It's like, I want to know why I'm doing this. I want it to make sense. And so I don't think for most people, that's really um, a big, a big value. It's just one of those things. It's okay. I mean, it's just like that for me, that was just like I blew up my career and everything. I mean, everything is just kind of like, you know, and um and I just had to do this stuff. I was I was really drawn to it. But yeah, that's the astrology is and that's what I do in my celestial way book is talk about that. It's like it's got it's a way in for people. If you do magic, if you do astrology and it works, then that means the atheistic materialism. Is not correct as it's not a very good model. In other words, this idea I that everything's random except for physical and energetic causality, well, that's not true. I mean, there's there's a lot more going on that's patterned than that. So, okay, let's follow that up. Let's see. Let's let's go into that. Let's see what the traditionally said about that. Let's see what let's see what else we can do with it practically. Let's, you know, let's let's start working with it. So that's a really that's a good way in for modern, you know, for contemporary people, as opposed to like. The mainline religion stuff, see, they're so infected by atheistic materialism that, you know, they believe this stuff literally happened. Like the Bible's literally true. I'm like, oh my God, that's really, that's kind of crazy, you know? And um, they had that from the beginning. I was reading that about the, the the, like Tertullian was attacking the Gnostics. And this is like second century AD. And he was insisting that the resurrection was in the body. None of the spiritual resurrection shit, none of the soul resurrection shit, but your physical body comes back, and it sounds absurd, but that's why you should believe it. <laughs> like, so they had that right from the get-go. A little bit of way too much physical physicality. So that that's what I would say about that is that. And and my wife recently has been reading all this near-death experience stuff, and there's only about like ten billion people that have had near-death experiences, you know. And what will happen with people, not unusually, is that they'll like be able to recount stuff that happened while they were dead, that was out of the range of their body. So you couldn't, oh, you're hallucinating, blah, blah, blah. No, I I went, you know, I went to my parents' house and they said such and such. And then they come back from They're like, yeah, did you say such? They're like, yeah, we said that. It's like, obviously consciousness is not tethered to the physical body, right? It's not even a product because the, the view of science is that consciousness is an epiphenomenon of matter. And if you put enough matter together, or organized in certain ways, it'll become conscious, right? Because it's, I guess it's part of matter has the, I don't know. They don't think about it too much, but they're just like, that's consciousness just comes from an agglomeration of stuff. And it comes from the physical body, right? It's your brain thinking, right? What else could it be? It has yeah. to be that. So, but the near-death experience blows that out because you're, you're dead. And also you're having experiences of stuff that wasn't within earshot. How could you get that? Because your consciousness left and you know went over and, you know, because that's a typical death experience. People don't realize they're dead. And they try to, you know, they're, oh, they see, you know, they see their friend, their family and friends crying. And they're like, oh, they try to touch them or whatever. And they they don't, they don't talk to them. And then they have, you know, the tunnel of light and the see Jesus or whatever. It's like, it's just, there's many variations on that, but it's like, there's a lot of commonalities in people's experiences. And so, and it's not, oh, it's a hallucination. It's like, yeah, okay, just, just hand wave it.
0: Yeah, I mean it's very fun to to have those moments of contradiction. Be like, oh, your problem is just you're thinking about it. Just don't think about it. Don't think about it. Yeah, right. But like, I'm curious because you, okay, so like the the horary astrology is what blew up your sort of agnostic atheistic worldview. It
1: helped. But like, okay, I could. But like, it seems my like, wife never needed it. She was always in that. She's always in this animistic view viewpoint. I mean, that's what I am now. Is like everything's alive. Everything has a spirit. It's very Shinto.
0: Sounds, sounds nice. Uh, but like what – because like doing like 100 horror astrology readings for people as an atheist seems like a weird
1: move, was I was, right? I was so open. P- I was open. You see what I'm saying is here's the deal. The hardcore atheist is like 1% of the population. And they're they're insisting on – like they want to be philosophically consistent. And they get so mad because people will be like, oh, I believe in God. And then they just – otherwise they're totally the atheistic materialist in terms of their views of causality, right? I mean – and um, the worst thing you can do to like to a minister or a priest is ask them any questions like that, you know, like what's, what's your, I, I did this one, I was, had appendicitis, so I was in Georgetown Hospital and I, this Jesuit came and he was, I was talking about Zen he said, I'll oh, send brother so-and-so to talk about Zen. I'm like okay So the dude shows up and I said, let's not talk about Zen, let's talk about Christianity. I mean, you're a priest. I said, what's your view of the resurrection? He literally got up and ran out. He didn't want to fucking talk about that because you're in a double bind because they're officially supposed to believe in it, but everyone knows it's bullshit. So it's like it just puts them in an impossible. But don't ask them theological questions. It's just like you're just you're just messing with them. So it's just true in general. I mean, I was told like don't ask people religious questions because they get upset because they couldn't explain themselves, right? Because it's totally contradictory. But that's because they're athe- what they un- they're unconscious atheistic materialists. You know, what like people. I believe in God. It's like okay, and that's it. It just sort of floats out by itself. It doesn't have any other. It's not like that. There's any kind of logical philosophy or anything behind it. Just sort of, that's just by itself. Or you're a deist. God set it all up and he bugged out. He's not around anymore. You know, that's that's a kind of intermediate position. Protestantism, that's the same way. It's all kind of like you strip out the magical elements out of it and just, then you get nothing. but basically end up with nothing. And you start that process and you, it's just, it's going to end up as atheistic materialism.
0: But you sort of went the other way where you, you sort of confronted your parents. Like, it feels like we're all
1: atheistic materialists, but you were actually. I didn't know know enough though. I didn't know enough though. Uh, here's what happened was that everybody in this culture, this is the sea that we swim in. And so you it's impossible to avoid it. It's all you've got. Even if you're a Christian, that's that's what you think reality is, except in your compartmentalized thing about God. But if you want to talk about like, you know, like TV or something, it's like, oh, it's you know, radio waves and all that sort of stuff. And of course, lit, it's literally true because I mean, that's the thing in this I was reading this book about archaeology in Israel. And they're obsessed with finding, you know, proof of the Bible, physical proof of the, because that would really prove the Bible. Because we found physical evidence that would really prove it. Because that's the high, like I said, that's the highest proof of anything. And so, or, you know, the, it's like that creationism insanity of like, oh, the earth's 5,000 years old and there's fake fossils. God put fake fossils in to fake us out and stuff like that. I mean, just insanity. But the thing is that given who I am and given the influences And also the fact that we're reaching the end of the reign of atheistic materialism. I mean, what's happening is that you have this hermetic renaissance every couple hundred years. Like the renaissance itself, it was, you know, jump-started by, you know, Fiscino translating the Corpus Hermeticum and stuff like that. I mean, there's there's an incredible resurgence of magic and astrology and hermetic thought and things like that in the renaissance. It happens every so often. That's happening now. And so, this is being injected into the culture because it's, the zeitgeist is ready for it. So, I'm just a little bit ahead, that's all, you know, of the, of the mainstream. And um, what's going to happen too is, you know, with the fall of industrial civilization or the, or the slow fall of it, then the prestige of science and technology is going to be like severely broken. And then the underlying, because the, the view right now is like, well, we have air conditioning, we have plasma screen TV. So, obviously, atheic materialism, science is great. I mean science is so prestigious it's so but it's so tied up with atheism you can't have a non-atheistic materialistic science It would have to be something different it would have to be huge changes in it but people just don't want to give it up so you can't go back to that superstition you know we have to cling tightly to the truth which is science science you know and that sort of thing so it's it's just a really it's it's what we're it's it's very like like a psychological psychology session like exploring on a, on a on a on a societal level it's like psychoanal- societal psychoanalysis right and this is the shadow side it's a lot of the stuff that we don't want to look at we want to think about you know it's it's all kind of hidden but that's the way esotericism I and mean, it's hidden right it wouldn't be esoteric if it was not hidden it wouldn't be esoteric so that's just part of it and the thing too is not secrets because secrets are like oh secret like an, everyone can easily understand it this shit it's hiding in plain view it's an arcana you can't see it you know i'll give you a good example of that on a fun on a, on a very small level you know i live in a very red state super red state and they hassled me about being an astrologer as a lawyer the bar did and i had to separate i had to separate my practice so like in my state i'm only a lawyer i don't do any astrology readings for anybody or sell talismans or anything in the state and out of state i'm only an astrologer i have to keep this very very careful but what's funny about it is it's never been reported in the media Because I did a lot of, I'm actually pretty active as far as doing like I do um, landlord-tenant stuff, yeah, right. And so I get, I I was in the, I was on KCRG, our local TV station, not too long ago for a story. But they've never reported on the law and astrology because it's too freaking weird. It just blows their mind. It's so weird that they just ignore it. It doesn't even exist as far as they're concerned. So it's like, because it's just too. Because the thing about it is, is that when the media only has about a hundred stories. If you want to get a story in the media, it has to be one of those hundred stories. If it's not one of those hundred stories, they can't report it. And the astrology, the only story for astrology is fake, con, fake, or or idiot. And so like the Washington Post, these like reporters for the style section, would used to be the women's section, would do a would talk to me like, oh, this guy's a serious astrologer. And then they take it to their editor and get it gets spiked <laughs> because you can't do a story of a serious astrologer. It has to be fake. you know. And they can do a certain amount of entertainment level stuff with it right? and try to play games with it. But if you were going to say do a, a story on somebody, this guy's really serious. He knows what he's doing. It's all philosophically based. It's very interesting, blah, blah, blah. They're like, nope, can't do that. Because it's not possible. I mean, it's fake, right? It has to be fake. That's what they tell me. How could it not be fake? Uh, it's going to undermine your worldview. It scares them too. That's the other thing too. The bar, got. A, I think they got a little nervous. I think the elites get nervous about it. It freaks them out. Taking this stuff seriously. Were you accused of bringing astrology into the, like, you know, like, Demanding that they you were just like, take back for an election. No, 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 no. They were just like their ostensible reason was that my clients would be confused, as I had like legal astrology on my website. Like I would do horror questions for people, right? And they they were like their ostensible reason. Well, kiddos, that's the end of part one.
0: We're not going to jump right ahead to the closing statements section for you, but to listen to the rest of this interview, a whole other hour of good, good stuff, head on over to patreon.com slash hassle. I'll see you there. Incredible. Thank you so much. Um if people want to learn more, I mean the book is out, right? But yeah, RenaissanceAstrology.com. RenaissanceAstrology.com. anywhere else that you go to find you?
1: I mean, I've got my YouTube channel as well, more and more YouTube videos. I'm trying to pump those out, you know, courses, um readings, talismans, you know. If you're like, "Oh, cool, fixed star talisman, go check out my website." I've got, you know, a whole b- I try to do, I don't know if I've done all 15. I've probably got 10 or, you know, 10-12 of the fixed star talismans. So, that's a great way to check them out too
0: and for people listening to the show i feel like they might be particularly interested in the fact that you do astrological readings about specifically magic
1: yeah i have a mage reading that like looks at the spiritual chunks of your chart you know and also like a horary reading if you think you're cursed that's another one too people are like am i cursed and um i did a whole i just did a video about curses let's check that out too if you're interested in that but yeah i mean the the beauty of the horary question for that is like it's like a lab test, like, oh, we'll take a biopsy and send it to the lab. I mean, it can come back and say, and I would say maybe a third of the time people are. People think every time that something bad happens, that they're cursed. And it's like, no, there's a lot of reasons why bad stuff happens. But at the same time, there are people, you know, there are malefic spiritual influences. And it can also be people that are close to you, like your family members angry at you, that can cause a negative spiritual reaction too. It doesn't have to be someone casting a spell, you know, whatever, you know, professional person or whatever. So- It's it's just one of those things. It's like there's a midpoint between it's not totally true or it's always happening. And that's where I want to come down to that midpoint. And the beauty of it is you can do actually do a reading. Like I said, I can do the horror read and give you an indication of what the you know, whether it is it's in unpleasant. Now, I can't remove curses though. It's the other thing is I don't do curse removal, but I can I can do a good job of diagnosis, I think. Yeah. You're you're the radiographer. Um, yeah, exactly.
0: You're you're sending the
1: biopsy. Radiologist, to yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly.
0: Awesome. Cool. Many, many thanks to Christopher Wardock. I'll have links in the show notes to where you can learn more about him and what he's up to, and also to where you can buy the book, The Quindecim Stellis. This has been Witch hassle. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, of course, as always, to our Patreon supporters who make this show possible. Uh, our theme music was performed by Sebastian Beavis and recorded by Edford Lee. Thank you for listening, and good luck with the work ahead.